So Money episode 385, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront, the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Visit Wealthfront.com forward slash So Money. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. It's Good Friday. If you're listening to this show, I have to give you credit because maybe you're having a nice long weekend ahead and you know you wanted to skip a day, but you decided to come back to the podcast. Really appreciate that. If uh, For all of you celebrating Easter, happy Easter. I hope it's a wonderful, warm, festive weekend with your family and your friends. Evan and I and Tim are going to be looking for an Easter egg hunt somewhere in New York City. So if you have any suggestions, still, I'm, I'm accepting <laughs> suggestions. Email me. Um, I'm thinking I'm probably going to go to like, I don't know, one of the parks, right? Sophia, like that, I'm a new, I'm new at this. I don't know about Easter egg hunts, but I'm figuring like, I'll look it up, obviously, but I think probably if it's a nice day, a lot of the parks will have something. Oh, I'm sure. And I, I personally love going every year to the parade that they have on Fifth Avenue. You see oh. some of the craziest Easter bonnets. So I always <gasps> take my, my dog. I shamelessly dress her up like a bunny. Oh my God. <laughs> What's your dog's <laughs> name again? Lexi. Lexi. Yeah. Lexi. She, yeah. Yeah. She has a, uh, a little bunny costume. So I dress her up and we, go on out and it's uh, it's always a fun time. <laughs> so everyone, you're listening to a new fixture here at So Money. Um, Sophia Yiannopoulos, she's my trusted assistant, helps me really keep order in my life and in my business. And I thought it'd be really cool if she would start joining me on these Ask for New Jam sessions when we don't have you know a financial expert on with me. It'd be nice to have her chime in. She has a great voice. She's the one compiling these questions anyway. So she's really involved and um, just wanted to have a little bit of a back and forth on these episodes because to be honest, like it can get a little lonely for me. Maybe not for you, but I get tired of listening to my voice for 30 minutes or for however long we're on these episodes. So it's nice to have you joining us again, Sophia. You came back. I didn't. Yes, I did. I had so much fun the first time I had to come back the second. (laughs) You're such a liar. You have to do this. It's your job. No, I'm kidding. Um, No, no, it's fun. I enjoy it. Good. I'm enjoying it too. So yeah, Easter. Hope everyone's having a good Easter weekend. Also want to say if you didn't, hear yesterday's episode with Jason Robel. Run to episode 384. This guy is so cool. He's a vegan celebrity chef. I'm not a vegan and I will never be a vegan. Um, I can't give up cheese. Oh my gosh. I, I, you know, I love, I live by cheese. I pizza. Like, okay, no, I would just, just kill me. You know, like I don't want to have to <laughs> abide by the strict rules of veganism. Those who do, I, respect you and I admire you. I think that's amazing because I know there are so many benefits to leading a a vegan lifestyle. And Jason really makes veganism fun and cool and exciting. And he's got this new book out that has a ton of over a hundred recipes, 150 recipes that we were joking because, you know, when you think of vegan diet, you think of um, kale and you think of seaweed, you think of like tofu, but he, um, 
has like all sorts of chocolate dishes and delicious um, nut dishes. And um, so, and also what's cool about Jason is that he's young and he was very entrepreneurial in building his career. He now has a show on the Food Network, but before that, and still he was doing a YouTube show day in and day out for three years straight. So very inspiring guy. Listen to that episode. He talks also about money, of course, and how he uh, made it, lost it. His celebrity clients like Woody Harrelson, how, do, how does he get them in shape uh, from a nutritional standpoint? What do they eat? What do they not eat? Um, so I asked him for a little bit of the behind the scenes because I love – don't you love hearing about how celebrities actually live? So intriguing. Yeah. So listen to Jason. You will enjoy that episode. I guarantee it. And then just some housekeeping here. For those of you who may not have been listening to the episodes, haven't been on the email list, which you should – if you're not on the email list, please join the community because that's the best way to learn about what's going on behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. But just as a heads up, you know, my show, Follow the Leader on CNBC, was supposed to premiere this week on the 23rd. But we learned a short while ago that the network wanted to push it to April 6th, Wednesday, April 6th, as the first premiere date. It's a once a week show, 10 p.m. Eastern Pacific, uh, because they wanted to put some final touches in the editing process. And also they wanted to air it after March Madness because they actually do want people to see the show because as it turns out when March Madness is on, nothing else gets ratings. Um, so that's just a FYI for everybody who wants to stay in touch with that show. Stay tuned. April 6th, DVR it, set, set your alarm clocks, whatever you want to do. But I would love to have you watch it and then we can talk about it. And then I can give you some of the dirt and the behind the scenes. Like what are these people really like? What did I actually do when I wasn't filming um, that was juicy and fun? So stay tuned for that. All right. Big breath. Sophia, who has a question this week? All right. So our first question comes from Taylor. She writes in, hi, Farnoosh. I just had my six-month workiversary and became eligible to sign up for my 401k. Thank you to you and your podcast. I made sure to sign up as soon as possible. My employer matches at 5%, so I only signed up to contribute 5% personally for a 10% total. My question is, do you recommend maxing out at 10% personally with the added 5% employer match for a 15% total? Not sure if I can financially swing it at this time, but maybe in the nearby future after I feel I can ask for a raise. I just mm -hmm. turned 24, so I'm hoping that I'm ahead of the game by signing up now, even if I can only afford 5% at this time. Thanks for answering another one of my questions. Yeah, Taylor, anytime. And congratulations on your six-month work anniversary. Uh, and glad that you signed up stat for that 401k. I think the younger you start investing, the more uh, advantageous because compound interest, as we know, works best when we start young. That accumulation, that compounding just really adds up tremendously. And even if you just save a lot now in your 20s and stop in your 30s, you will actually have more money saved by the time you're 40 than someone who didn't save in their 20s and they actually saved more in their 30s than you did in your 20s, just to show you the power of compound interest. So to answer your question, I think you're doing great. I love that your employer is giving you a 5% match. That's amazing. So you putting in five plus their five, 10%, sweet. Good. Great. I will say though, you know, if you ask anybody who's now in their 40s and 50s and older, 
The one thing they wish they had done the most when they were your age, 24, was save more. Because even when you make more, you think, oh, I'll be able to save more. But that's not really true because the more you make, the more expenses you may have. And so it's not always that simple, that justification that, oh, I'll just make more and then I'll save more because it may actually be harder at that point. So one of the behavioral tricks that has been proven to work for many of us because saving is difficult and it's hard. It's painful to part with money, especially I know when I was 24, I was making pennies. And every dollar mattered and every, you know, percentage that I gave away to my 401k meant a percentage that I wasn't giving to my personal life or other expenses. And it kind of made life difficult. But one of the things that you can do to alleviate that pain is to sign up for an automatic bump to, contri- to contributing to your 401k every year. So automatically, once the clock strikes 2017, you start contributing an extra 1%. And that's called save more tomorrow. That's a behavioral trick. I think I read it in the book Nudge. Um, And what that basically allows you to do is commit to saving more in the future. Make the commitment today. Make that hard decision now. And then when that clock strikes 2017 in the future, you will automatically be contributing now 6%. And then the next year, do 7%. And the next year, do 8%. Just make that commitment now, set it up automatically. And I guarantee you by then, when you probably will get some sort of annual bump or raise, it you won't feel it. You really won't. I mean, when I was your age, I was saving around 10% of my salary. And I think at 24, I was making about $45,000 a year. So... And the idea of it, of c- contributing that much of my, and plus like taxes and everything. I was like, are you kidding? I live in New York. I will have nothing. I've been living in a shoebox. But the truth is when it's out of your paycheck automatically and you just get that paycheck into your bank account every month, you don't really know the difference. You know, you just work with what you get and you make it work. And then you'll be a lot happier when you're suddenly noticing your bank account, your your 401k account, like a year from now, you're going to be like, oh my God, I actually have tens of thousands of dollars. How did this happen? Trust me, you would never be able to do this on your own if someone said, write a check to yourself every month. But your employer is taking out of your paycheck automatically. So long story short, stay the course. But today, tomorrow, walk into HR and say, I would like to automatically contribute an extra 1% starting in 2017. Um, and that way you'll almost forget about it and it'll just kick in. And that's one way to just kind of do it painlessly. So that's my advice and I'm sticking to it. But the book is Nudge. If you're curious about learning more about behavioral tricks, it's a great book. Um, bestseller it talks about like how, as it turns out, as human beings, we're not very, uh, good at saving money. It's just not something that as human beings, we are hardwired to want to do or to really be good at. So we have to do these, we have to play these mind tricks and set up these systems to get us to do the right thing. All right. What do you think, Sophia? I love the book, Nudge. I actually had to read that in one of my poli-sci classes in college, and I thought that was a great read. So I, I'm with you on that. I highly recommend it. And, um, you know, before working with Farnoosh, I was at a PR firm in the city. I had the 401k as well. And you know, you definitely want to contribute as much as you can. And as you said, automation is great. The less you think about it, the better. And 
you know, when you have to think about moving that money out of your bank account yourself, it really becomes a hassle. Whereas if you don't think about it, you don't see it, you don't worry about it. And then, you know, you start to notice a nice pile of money starting to build up and it's, it's a really nice feeling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not into, it's just something you really want to do, but you just have to get over that, that uh, feeling and just do it, sign up, and then you'll be so much happier. Like when I left my job from New York one, where I was making, you know, 45,000 a year and I was saving very aggressively in the 401k, when I left that job and, and I had to carry over my 401k, it was like $40,000 that, I mean, at 26, I was like, oh, how did this happen? But you know what? It did. And I couldn't have been more thankful that I just, you know, listened to the, to Mary, who actually, Mary in HR, who put the fear of God in me. She was like, you must do this, Farnoosh. It is too good to pass <laughs> up. Cause we were, they also had a match, which was really not as generous as your 5%, Taylor, but it was, I think it was like 3%, which is, hey, I'll take it. Yeah, definitely. All right. So the next question comes from Danielle. She writes in and says, Hi, Farnoosh, your podcast is outstanding. Thank you for sharing such helpful content. I'm 22 and have worked on upping my personal finance game for the last few months. I have about $1,000 beyond my normal savings for rainy day goals, etc. And I want to open a Roth IRA. Should I go for Charles Schwab, Wealthfront or something else? What resources should I use for picking an investment strategy? Tony Robbins's book, An Advisor. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Wow. I love that she's 22 and asking this question. She is so money. She's totally so money. <laughs> we should have like <laughs> Um, a gong or something on on this episode, unlike these episodes where we just like <laughs> celebrate like really awesome people who ask, I mean, you're all awesome, Taylor. I love you, Danielle. You're awesome, but I feel like when you're 22 and asking me about where to invest because you've done everything else right and you have a thousand dollars more than you need in normal savings and you want to do something productive with it, I love that. That just so shows like you know it's just a great inspirational uh, anecdote. So Danielle, um. It doesn't really matter where you open up this Roth IRA as long as you're, you know, uh, making sure that they're not um, robbing you of fees. I think that um, for the most part, you can open up a Roth IRA at your existing bank. I like keeping everything under one roof for the most part, if possible. So wherever you're banking, if they do offer Roth IRAs or uh, IRAs, definitely look there first. And then as far as your investment strategy, you know, you're 22 years old and a Roth IRA is really meant to be a retirement vehicle. You aren't going to be touching this money until you're 59 and a half. So you've got, gosh, you know, over 35 years here we're talking about. So I, of course, we talk about on the show a lot, my guests love index funds, you know, indexing just the S&P 500 over 35 years. My guess, based on historical average returns, is that you're going to have more money than you, than what you started with, and you'll have a nice gain over those uh, decades. Um, so, an index fund that tracks the U.S. market, the S and P 500. You could also look into target date funds. These are mutual funds that have a mix of investments calibrated based on when you want to retire or when you're going to be cashing in. Um, so they'll be dated like you know 
your target date of retirement. So maybe it's like an index fund with a target date of 2045 or 2055. So those are the two ideas I have for your investment strategy. Because you're 22, you can be a little bit more risk tolerant. So you can go for uh, an investment strategy that's more heavily in stocks than in bonds. So I would say like 75%, 80% stocks. And a rule of thumb that I learned way back when was that if you're curious about your investment mix, like how much should I be in stocks? How much should I be in bonds? You take a hundred, you subtract your age, and that's relatively the percentage of stocks that you can comfortably be invested in. Of course, you also want to take into account your own stomach for risk. If you're somebody who can't literally sleep at night because the market gyrates and is volatile, then you know maybe you want to take it back a notch. But if you can be someone who can keep a long-term view doesn't get too nervous or emotional over day-to-day fluctuations in the market, then you know that's a pretty good rule of thumb. So good luck to you. Time now to shed some light and say thank you to one of our sponsors on the show today, Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. All right. Who's next, Sophia? All right. The next question comes from Sarah. Sarah writes, hi, Farnoosh. I learned about your podcast after spotting you in Women's Health Magazine, and I was instantly hooked. My question for you is this. Are there lesser known real estate investment opportunities that are more affordable and less risky than purchasing property for the sake of taking on tenants? I live in LA, so that should give you an idea as to the cost associated with the traditional route. Yeah, lots of people are interested in real estate right now. I would say that you could look into REITs, R-E-I-T-S. Those are real estate investment trusts that are basically, it's an asset class. It's an investment. uh, It's a type of investment that you can select as part of an overall portfolio. So a lot of times these come in the forms of exchange traded funds, ETFs. And basically what a real estate investment trust is, and they carry different, and they take on different, um, personalities like one might be a trust that's particular that's all commercial real estate so you're really what you're doing is in your you're investing in a variety of projects commercial projects um, and you may be diversifying your risk spread across a, a number of different projects um, other real estate investment trusts might be 
in residential, um, might be shopping malls. So look into that because that might be a nice additional mix in your portfolio as you're also investing in uh, index funds and individual stocks, perhaps, and bonds. REITs could be a nice, healthy addition. I wouldn't do too many REITs. I wouldn't you know, go too heavy on, in that. Like I wouldn't do more than 5% of your overall portfolio in this category. And don't just take my word for it. I would talk to a financial advisor as well for more specific guidance. But for somebody who wants the real estate investment opportunities, maybe to gain from that or to ride that wave, but not necessarily be a landlord, REITs are are, are probably something you should look into. All right. Good luck, Sarah. All right. The next question is a long one. Are you ready, Furnish? Can you shorten it? I don't like long questions. That's my <laughs> only pet peeve. On I know like sometimes it's really hard to get into your question because money's complex. But, you know, just know that if your question is more than 150 words, I'm probably not going to spend time on it because I just can't use the whole episode reading your question. But go for it. Try to try to give me the give me your best shot. All right. So this comes from Allie. She says, big fan of the podcast. I'm seeking some financial advice that many of my friends are in a similar situation. I'm 28 years old in LA working in marketing. Right now, I have about 20000 in a high-yield online savings and money market, and I'm not exactly sure which I should focus on more, paying off student loans, saving to buy a house, or buy a smaller property like a condo now while interest rates are low. I want to invest more in my future, and I think now is a great opportunity for this since interest rates are at the lowest it's been, but I'm not too sure. Okay. So I think you abridged this, right? Because <laughs> this was I a did. pretty long question. She gave us a lot of background and you know all the options she's considering. But I think we we've I have enough here to kind of give you some general guidance, Ali. I think that um without knowing how what the interest rates are are on those student loans, I'm going to assume that they're not too high. And maybe that's a false assumption on my end. But in general, student loans don't carry as high of an interest rate as credit cards. If this is an area where you are paying a lot of interest in, then you might want to consider knocking that down just to give yourself some more cash flow every month and also to not be paying so much interest over the life of those loans. And also let's all take into account your your mental health. You know, sometimes people with debt, that the idea of just carrying that debt, no matter what kind of debt it is, it just it just weighs on their consciousness. They have trouble really feeling like they're financially quote unquote liberated. So if that's you, then I would say concentrate on those student loans. But if you're someone who's okay in the student loan department, you've got that under wraps, the interest rates aren't too high. And you're curious about real estate, you want to maybe look into buying, you know, it just depends on what your goals are. If you're somebody who would prefer to have the house instead of the condo, um, then save up for the house. If you can wait it out and save and save and save and so that you can buy your dream home first, as opposed to like maybe taking a stepping stone with a condo and then the the house, I think, you know, maybe just delay your gratification a little bit. Interest rates are low right now. They are going to go up in the future, but not like they're going to go up tomorrow or even I would say this year, they're going to be relatively steady. They're going to go up a little bit, but not too much where it's going to really impact perhaps the housing market. But if you're really aggressive and you really want to get in and sink your teeth into the real estate market now, and you can do this without breaking the bank, 
then go for it. You know, I started out in New York City, bought a small property and like I bought a condo when I was 24, 25. I held on to it though for 10 years. And my intention wasn't that I was going to flip this or it wasn't the sole intention that I was going to buy this for the purpose of making a profit. I actually wanted to live in it for a while. And that's, I think, the real overarching personal advice I have for any home buyer out there, whether it's a small property, a big property, be in it for the long haul. You know, think of it as like not your forever house necessarily, but that you want to live it, that you enjoy this home, that you want to be a homeowner that, you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of enjoyment, hopefully. And that you're looking at this as like a three to five year commitment. Um, because if you're just looking at this as an investment that you want to flip, that's really risky. Who, who knows what's going to happen with the market in a year, six months, two years. But if you are willing to be in it for four, five, six years plus, then through that time period, hopefully you'll be able to ride out whatever conditions ha- come a- arise. Even though perhaps real estate is not as volatile as the stock market, it still has its ups and downs and you need to be able to be prepared for that. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think it hopefully gives you some perspectives that maybe you didn't have before. Like I really think that if you're going to go and buy a property, you want to think about it as a long-term commitment, relatively long-term, not just something to be in it for a short period of time. If your goal is really to have that house with the yard, then wait. And and I know interest rates might go up, but then at least you'll be able to be in the house that you really want and not just to be in a house to be in a house. Does that make sense, Sophia? I think so. You don't want to jump into something like real estate just because like that's what you think you should do because that's where, because interest rates are really low. You know, I think you need to do it for all the, all the right reasons, which is yes, the conditions are good right now to buy as far as interest rates, but you also have to be ready for it and also be mentally capable to take on whatever might come about. Yeah. And I think, um, your guest Patrice Washington from last week talked about investing in real estate and how that didn't necessarily maybe work out so well for her. So yeah, you have to be careful for sure. Yeah. She went bankrupt. (laughs) Yeah. But that was also a very just terrible time. And that was during the housing crisis. So, you know, she wasn't alone, but just to show you, you know, uh, think bad things happen to good people (laughs) when they're not, when they're not, you know, covering their bases. And she was over, she was over leveraged in the real estate market. Um, not to scare you, Allie, you know, just be really thoughtful about this. And if your student loans are keeping you up at night, then maybe that's where you need to pay most of your attention. All right. So the next question is from Kelly. She writes in, my husband and I would like to start investing in the stock market about $2,000. Our plan is that this would be a start to a long-term investment plan to help build wealth, but we may need it in the next few years to pay for daycare if we have another baby. Advice on what to invest in, but still have the possibility for liquidity would be appreciated. Yeah, Kelly. So I learned from one of my former bosses, Jim Kramer, who's been on the show before, that if you need money in the next five years, if you have money that you want to quote unquote play with, right? But you in the back of your mind are saying to yourself, I kind of want this money. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in the next five years. I might need this for education for my kids. I might need it for a rainy day. I might need it to buy something significant like a house or a car or even a vacation. You don't want to roll the dice with this money, i.e. put it in the stock market because that's what doing. That's what investing is, really. It's taking big risks. 
And over a five-year term, in your case, you're saying maybe in a few years, you need this money to pay for daycare. You're not going to be able to ride out big swings in the market uh, comfortably and even successfully, you know, because in order to really weather the storm of the stock market, you need time. And if you need this money in the next three years, I would just put it in a plain old bank account. Liquidity in this case trumps your rate of return because you need this money. And, you know, daycare is the most challenging part of financial management when it comes to kids and having kids. Um, it's definitely our number one expense with Evan. And I know a lot of families, whether you do the daycare or you have um, a, a nanny or it's preschool or it's part-time care, it's expensive. And you just need the cash. Um, it's very hard to negotiate daycare. So I would rather see that money just sit for you in a bank account, especially if you're thinking about expanding your family in the next few years. I mean, maybe you could put it in something like a 12-month CD, a 24-month CD. Um, but again, it's not going to be as liquid for you as, as maybe ideally you would want it to be. So I would just say, don't invest it, save it. All right. So we have our last question, which comes from Rigo. He says, I hired a tax professional to handle my return this year. And after all was said and done, he cost me more than double what my return was. After going through my return myself, it looks like the 1040 he filed out for me was pretty easy to do. I've been using TurboTax in the past, which was also easy and very cheap. Would you advocate using a tax professional or do you think I can probably get by fine on my own? Thanks. Love the show and especially love the Ask Varnish segment. It's probably my favorite part of the show. Cool. You know, I love that this is your favorite part of the show. It's kind of mine too. And looking at also the downloads Overall, I feel, Sophia, I think maybe you've noticed this too, that the Ask Farnoosh's are getting more popular and in some cases are the most popular episode of the week, which is cool. I have noticed. I mean, it's proof. It's evidence that, you know, we need more shows like these and um, my work is uh, not for nothing. And I would say, Rigo, that you know the answer to your question. I mean, you just told me that you overpaid in some cases a little bit to, you know, your tax person, that you made less of a return than what you paid in tax filing help and that you investigated it and you probably could do your taxes on your own. And that's totally fine. I would say the only time that it's really important to work with an accountant is if you own your own business, you have a lot of freelance income or you have a lot of investments, property, you want to have a professional check because in those cases, the IRS is more likely to audit you. And if you have someone who's helping you out, it's just it's just nicer to know that you have that extra added layer of oversight. So in that case, it's money well spent. But you know, typically a CPA costs anywhere from $150 to $200 per hour. You know, maybe on average, it'll take that person five, three, four, five hours to do your taxes, depending on the complexity of your taxes. And of course, assuming you have all your paperwork at the ready, if you don't, it's more money. So that's a tip, right? If you're going to hire someone to do your taxes, come organized with all your paperwork that you're going to need for them, pay stubs, invoices, receipts, because then they're going to charge you more for the time that they spend basically doing your bookkeeping and your organization. But certainly you can just buy some tax software like TurboTax. A lot of times too, libraries I've noticed around this time of year 
We'll hold evening sessions for free for the public where they'll have volunteers come and help you answer any questions you have about your taxes. They're not going to do your taxes for you, but if you have a few questions about line items and your exemptions and things like that, then I think um, you might want to take advantage of some of those free resources in your neighborhood. That's what I would say. I'm sorry, gosh, that you had to pay so much for your CPA, but I guess that was one way to learn, right? And hopefully this person did teach you a few things about some of the qualifications that you have for exemptions and credits and deductions that now you can apply more rapidly, more readily when you do your own taxes, you just have more of an awareness of what you're qualified for. And, And that can hopefully help you save or make money back in the future with your taxes. Thanks so much, Rigo. Ah, what do you think, Sophia? These were some really good, hard questions this week. They were. I um, I always enjoy reading everyone's questions. It's always so interesting to hear what everyone has going on. And so many young people in their early 20s. We ran a survey of y'all earlier last year, and we discovered that many of you are millennials, many of you went to grad school, and many of you make about 75K or more. So that's a pretty interesting demographic. I think the audience has some money to play with or they're really ambitious, they're professional, they're go-getters. So thanks to all of you. And just to give a shout out, because I always do this, Taylor, Danielle, Sarah, Ali, Kelly, Rigo. Thanks for your questions. And Sophia, as always, thanks for ushering and managing and steering, not just the (laughs) podcast, but my, my whole business. I really appreciate you. Hope you'll be back again soon. What are you doing this weekend? I uh, well, I think I'm going to head to that Easter parade on Fifth Avenue if all all goes well with the weather. Show off my my puppy <laughs> and um, <laughs> and have a and you know go out and enjoy the nice weather we've been having. I mean, it's been great. I already feel like a different person now with the daylight savings and weather that's been above you know 40 degrees. So definitely planning on getting outside. Good, good. I hope so. And. Uh... Hope that Evan gets to do some Easter egg hunting. His first ever. It'll be sweet. I'll take some pictures. Definitely. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Hope your day is so money. Money.